G'day and welcome to another Green and Gold Rugby podcast. Uh, for those who are counting, this is actually podcast 120. Um, as usual, we're, st- we're sponsored by uh, strike.com.au, so grab a c- cradle to hold your phone in the car from Strike. And remember, use Green and Gold Rugby as your kind of safe word there to get a, an extra discount. Um, got a couple of uh, guests tonight. I've got uh, Masticating Wildly in the background Timsy, mate, how are you? I'm not masticating, mate. You're not? No, no. What's that mean again? <laughs> yeah, no, I've been caught out a little bit and I'm mm. just, just finishing my dinner, so apologies in advance if you're hearing me chewing. But, uh, but mate, you're, you're back from uh, Touch. Have you been playing Touch tonight? No, last night was Touch. Oh, was it? Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, tonight I had a couple of things to sort out before I came home, so. Okay. Oh, I was going to forgive you for the, for the carb extravagance that you were having, but... Um, oh, I earned them last night, yeah. Yeah. Well, so. I tell you what, your carbs are balancing out from what our other guest has actually been doing tonight. So it's um, Logs, Andrew Logan, mate, you're, you're back from footy training, is that right? Back from footy training, yeah. I've been doing hill sprints with the uh, the mighty Orange Emus, just trying to, trying to get the boys pumped up for the last couple of games of the year, so... Um, it's going to be a, a rugby fest for 12 hours. I've just done that. Now I'm doing the Gagger podcast. And now and then um, I've got a 5.30 a.m. call with Greg Feek, the island scrum coach. <laughs> well, mate, our podcast... Tomorrow, so that'll be, that'll be interesting. Our podcasts do sometimes run quite long, so you might just go straight through. You know, we, Go we, straight through. Yeah, and we then do. just ring Feek off the back of it. Exactly. Um, mm. So, yeah, if we do start encroaching on your next call... Uh, with our podcast, let us know, and we'll wind her no up. No problem. We'll do. Um, well, we'll, we'll let him go, and we'll keep talking. But... Yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll try and wrap it up as quickly as we can after that. Um, let's kick it off. So something rather big happened on the weekend. We had the end of the Super Rugby with uh, a cliffhanger, um, a cracker of a final between the Brumbies, well, the Chiefs hosting the Brumbies. Brumbies just couldn't get it done. Uh, had, what did you take away from the game, Logs? Um, look, I, I spoke, um, I was talking to Francis Leach on ABC the morning of, and I, I was just saying to him, look, really, I think it's all about belief at that, at that mm-hmm. level and just the belief that you can get through 80 minutes and, and do it, you know, because any team that makes the final clearly has the ability to win. And I think probably, um, the Brumbies to their everlasting credit won't say so, but I think the fatigue got them in the end and perhaps for the last 15 or 20, that belief that they could do it just uh, probably deserted them. But I just thought it was just a magnificent game of rugby and there were some, you know, the, the Chiefs I thought were better than they are sometimes in that they managed to maintain their composure um, given that they didn't really lead the game, I don't think, until about the last 15 minutes. They were behind yeah. nearly the whole way and they just hung in there. So I, I thought that was very unchiefs-like, actually, and I think they deserve a great deal of credit for that too. Yeah. Timsy, if you're in between mouthfuls, mate, what, what was your take on the game? Loved it. Yeah. I, I'm actually a little bit upset because I pride myself on my ability to uh, forecast the future. And I said that the uh, the Chiefs Crusaders game would be the game of the season, but for me this one was you know it was better. 
So mate, just people, a, as a spectacle, I thought it was great. Well, people are belly belly aching about it though, saying you oh. know Brumby's you know playing negative rugby. I mean, we'll later on we've got an interview coming up um, where we're going to talk to um, you know the head of Sansa about it, but. You know, uh, Clive, Clyde Rathbone from his own side said, you know, we, we didn't even try and play. Yeah, well, I, I think um, I, I think that, the, yeah, if, if that's the way you want to see it, then how, what, what have you got to complain about? I mean, the, the more attacking team won. So if you mm. think they played negative, then they got their just desserts. Otherwise, I think that they played to their strengths and uh, probably just didn't play to their strengths well enough mm. in the end. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's amazing when you look at. I've just I've got the stats, the game stats in front of me, and they're they're actually uncannily similar between the two sides. So, for example, number of tackles made um, was 142 each, um, according to this set of stats, um, and it's just the uh, completions that are slightly different. So, the Chiefs have 88% completion versus the the Brumbies uh, 142, and what that turns out into is that the Chiefs missed 11, the Brumbies uh, 37. But I've seen that broken down into time periods and there's a good chunk, like almost half of those tackles are missed in like the last, in the final quarter. Um, you know, and I, I think that probably rings true to what you were saying, Logues, is that, I, you know, they just seemed to run out of puff, didn't they? Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm looking at a slightly different set of stats, but yeah, you know, roughly 30 missed tackles to yeah. 10 or 11 for the Chiefs. And as you say, most of those came in the end. So um, other than that, it is a staggeringly equal game. And, um, you know, I, yeah, with the Brumbies negative, I, I think you have to play the game that is there in front of you in finals. And, and, People are too hard to please, in my view. I, I think that was a magnificent game of rugby, and anyone who who is able to, with a straight face, front up and say that the Brumbies played negative rugby and therefore shouldn't have won, um, mm. I just think that is ridiculous statement. I was very surprised at, at Clyde Rathbone, really. I, I, I can see what he's saying. I can see the point that he's trying to make, mm. but, you know given what a great game of rugby it was and what a showcase it was for the game and and how well everybody performed and the spirit that the game was played in, the spirit that you saw in the fans, I just thought it was a great advertisement for rugby. I think any negative talk off the back of it is ill-conceived. Mm. I mean, I thought actually, if, the, if I had one takeaway from the game was, I thought the Brumbies turned up to win. Um, you know, I think a lot of people, especially when they've been on the road as much as those guys, you know, they've got excuses. They can say, oh, we had, you know, a, a, you know, two away um, finals there and it was against the Chiefs and no one ever wins there and all these sorts of things. And I really th- didn't really thought they didn't go in that with their mindset. I think the win in Pretoria showed that. They didn't give a crap about history or, you know, the number of times the Bulls had won at home. They went out and did it. And I thought they turned up, um, to, you know, at, at the Tron looking to do the same thing. And I thought their mindset the whole time was we're not just participating in this. We really are really... You know, giving this in a hundred, you know, hundred percent crack. Um, the the thing about the thing about rugby at that at that pointy end of the season though too, when you get the two top teams together, yeah. those games swing on the smallest of of turning points. You know, the 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 fewest of errors and the smallest of errors can make the, the hugest of differences in those sorts of games. And mm. if you look at that game and look at, I think the Brumbies in the second half three times didn't put the ball into touch. Mm. And I think that was the difference. You know, they, they could have been at one stage, they could have been well down in Chiefs territory um, off the back of a penalty with the line-out throw mm. uh, and Nick White didn't put it into touch, you know. And, well, that- and that... 
that reversal of pressure just in that moment with probably about 20 to go or 18 to go just makes such a huge difference. And I don't think people really appreciate just how tight these games are and how much those one or two little errors break the game wide open. Yeah, well, that was the sign that the fatigue was setting in, wasn't it? They started making those mistakes that they just don't make normally. So, mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was another one, I think, even closer to time, Jesse Mogg made, um, you know, when they just needed to get down the other end. But um, talking about turning points in the game, and it's been one that people have been talking about a fair bit, um, Bob Dwyer said in his review of the game on uh, Green and Gold Rugby, he was saying that actually he thought Craig Joubert, you know, had a great game and actually gave the Brumbies a biggest crack as, as, as they, he could have. And if anything, they probably got the rub of a few 50-50s. But he felt that that scrum that didn't get penalised from the Chiefs, where in fact they then got a feed because he ruled that it had gone through the 90. When the actually, 90. Yeah, when Dreadful actually... call. I mean, when actually... I mean, I think to just about anybody else, it was pretty obvious that the, the Chiefs had been just, you know, splintered in the front row. Um, well, there was no scrum... Anymore, yeah, was yeah. Apart. I mean, you know, and then so what that happened there was, you know, there was that was a, almost a sure three points. And then actually then um, off the scrum that came after that, they were back down the other end and then they were they, they scored a try. So his argument was like that was almost like a potential 10 point turnaround. Um, was for a guy who had, you know, he had a pretty good refing performance through the match, but that, that had a pretty big impact on the game, didn't it? Yeah, that one call really made a huge, huge difference. And if you watch just that scrum again, it really is one for the purists, you know, and it would have escaped a lot of a lot of casual observers. But mm. there's just a magnificent piece of scrummaging there when just after the engage and you see the whole Brumbies pack just sink at the knees and push their chest to the ground and that whole shape of the scrum just drops like a you know, like one of those cars on hydraulic suspension, you know, the, the yep. whole thing just drops and sinks about six inches and they just hold it and hold it and hold it and then all of a sudden you see the Chiefs just fragment. Yeah. And that's why it was such a staggering call because you could see exactly what they were doing and they achieved it, exactly what they were trying to do and the front row went straight through off the back of that magnificent piece of body shape and mm. and unity in the shove and they got a penalty against them. It was that's why for me it was a staggering call because you could see exactly what the Brumbies were trying to do. Mm. There was no luck in it. They they executed perfectly and they got penalised. Yeah. Well, and and also just so you know to get to, you know to to get effectively penalised for you know for a great piece of skill. I mean, there was another time that Joubert and I've seen a number of refs do this. So maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there is something in the rules where he calls use it when the ball is at the back of a scrum. Now, obviously, there's that rule at the back of a ruck um, because, you know, there's the time now. But if you've got the ball at, at the back of a scrum and you want to, you know, truck forward or put more pressure on, how does the ref have the right to, to shout, use it? Do they? Do you, I mean, I'm thinking, I, I, I'm not aware that there is. Not to my knowledge. He can knowledge. if he wants. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, you know what I mean? I, I, I wouldn't have thought this was something that's necessarily encouraged. I mean... No, I don't think it's a law, yeah. but if he wants to try and push you to use it, I suppose he can do it. But yeah. It's not a law as far as I'm aware, no. No. Well, it, it happened in in that match. Um, and, anyway, people from the north, and I think even the most diehard Kiwis that we had on the forum trying to argue black as white about it said that, you know, if you'd had, like, a plot reffing that scrum, that it definitely would have been a penalty. Um, but, anyway, look, there was other things that happened in the match. Um you can't can't just dwell on that. But the Chiefs, would we say they're? I mean, are they the deserved winners, Timsey, of of the comp this year? I think so, definitely. Yeah. The, they had a. I mean, 
the scrum performance, they did enough. Obviously, they weren't dominant there, but every other part of the game, they played really well. I mean, their, their line-out was better than people thought that would be, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't think the Brummies got the attack there that they wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, God, they can put on a counter-attack, can't they? Yeah. It's great to watch. I mean, I think the interesting thing is this has been their defence as well, which has really firmed up over the last couple of years um, and, and really put them into contention. They can still score some points there. And here's one of the things, going back to that bit about what what Rathbone was saying. I mean, you know, the, the Chiefs scored 50 tries over the season. Um, and uh, the Brumbies scored, I think it was 44. Uh, the Waratahs scored 45. But if, but if you're going to call the Brumbies a, a you know, I don't know, a, a cynical team that doesn't look to play, I mean, the Reds only scored, like, I think it was 31. Um, so if there's any team, you know, in the Australian Conference that had problems scoring tries, it definitely wasn't the Brumbies. Um, and I think it was, they were actually fourth in the whole competition for number of tries scored. So... Uh, you know, it, it it makes you scratch your head a, a little bit further, doesn't it, Logs? If you if you look at those numbers, oh, absolutely. And and you've got to look at the personnel that you have. You know, it's yeah. very easy to sit back and say, oh, well, the Brumbies should be playing like this, or the Brumbies didn't score enough tries based on a random number. Yeah. But you can only play with the personnel that you have. And you know, if you're the Chiefs and you have Lilia Masaga on one wing, yeah. you know, uh, with some pretty hard hitting. Um, guys inside of him and, and a very um, mobile forward pack who are, who are busting up some of the lesser teams up the middle before going wide, then you're going to score a lot of tries. You know, the Brumbies probably don't have that same sort of ammunition. Um, you know, I mean, if, if I had my druthers, and this is not taking anything away from the Brumbies, but um, I'd probably prefer a Brodie Retallick over maybe a Sam Carter just in terms of you know, mobility and ability to bust the line and get the ball yeah. through the hands and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in that sense, you, you play with what you have and the Chiefs have got some tremendous ammunition and I think um, to say that the Brumbies are, are somehow less of a team based on a random stat like that I don't think is um, is fair at all. But, uh, you know, the Chiefs have had their losses too, you know, and they, they learn from those. I think it, a lesser team after losing by... 30 points to the Crusaders only just the beginning of July might have um, might have let a bit of a bit of confidence slip but certainly they didn't they came back and I think they're very worthy winners yeah, yeah. well I mean also I also you know you look across the Brumbies backline and I, I kind of struggle to find someone you would call a boring player I mean you know you, you look at you, you look at the wingers um, so you know you've got Spate Tamani um, I mean, probably maybe Rathbone's a little bit more workmanlike, um, but he's... You know, <laughs> workmanlike. Yeah. Nicely yeah. said, nicely put. These days. Um, but, I mean, I'm still not a bad player and very very nearly uh, poached a try uh, on, on the weekend there. Um, Kuradrani, I think, uh, has been getting better and better as the season went on. Had that sensational game against the Lions and has, got you know, worked himself into the Wallabies' contention and he could be that big outside centre that we've been looking for. Leili Afano, um, uh, you know... A second playmaker, people are uh, thinking that maybe he's the Messiah in the, in the Wallabies' back line. Uh, Tamua, I think we're going to talk about in, in a little while, and you've got Nick White. I mean, and then Jesse, the, the Mogger rhythm, you know, at the back. Um, so, you know, it, there's not many slouches in that in that back line. It's kind of hard to say that it's a it's a boring team, I think. Um, yeah, they just haven't reached that that zenith of dominance yet. You know, they're um, and you look at a guy like Sterling Mortlock. Now, do you remember Sterling Mortlock when he played on the wing um, early in his career? You know, he was he was young, he was raw, 
And a few years later, when he was playing 13 and he bulked up and he was still very fast, but he was huge and confident and mm. dominant and aggressive, you know, the Sterling Mortlock of that time was a was a, a vastly better player than the, the early Sterling Mortlock that you saw on the wing. Yes. And that's what you're going to see happen exactly with guys like Mog, like Kurudrani, you know, even Spate, um, you know, certainly Tamani. Like, those guys are just going to grow in stature. They're going to grow in experience and confidence and, and probably size. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the Brumbies are going to be an incredible side. As long as they don't have the flair coached out of them, then... Mm. Everything will be fine. Oh, well, I think Jake. I think Jake's. Smart. I don't think he will. He's playing the team he's yeah. got, and he's saying, "Don't play in your own half. Play when you get into their half, and you can put pressure on, and your errors don't matter so much." Yeah. And I think that's just smart rugby. Yeah, I mean, and I think the one thing we do know as well is that we talked to Laurie Fisher at the um, end of last season, beginning of this season, and the one area that he said, "Look, we've identified is we need to get you know get better in our attack." Um, you know, we've got some of the basics right, but we need to be able to, you know, throw in a few um, different uh, curveballs here and there. And so, you know, even a year ago, they were looking at that. So I don't think it's that they've said, hey, we don't need that um, and, and we don't need that as part of our game. And the number of tries they scored in the season obviously says that they don't think that. So, I, I, you know, it, it feels like, to your point, Legs, I think that's something they're going to work on going forward. But anyway, to, to talk about that question and then actually take us then into the rugby championship, um, I had a chat uh, just yesterday with uh, the uh, CEO of Sansa, uh, Greg Peters, and um, we're just going to cut that interview in now and you guys can uh, have a listen to that and then we'll uh, come back after that and have a chat. Right, I'm joined now by uh, Greg Peters, the uh, CEO of Sansa. G'day, Greg. How are you? I'm very good, Matt. How are you? Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, so I'm, I'm assuming, I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure you were at the final on the weekend. It was pretty thrilling. Uh, how was it being there live? Yeah, indeed I was. And um, it was a fantastic occasion, really. I thought uh, Chiefs really did us proud um, the way they showcased the final now for obviously the second year in a row. And uh, from the... From the crowd response, the 25,000 passionate cow, cow bell ringing yeah. fans that they have there, and yeah, a few yeah. Brumbies supporters that made it over on a charter flight out of Canberra, as I understand it, the first international flight to leave Canberra Airport, so I'm told. Oh, right. Uh, which is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And, um, you know, so they did a great job, and I, I, without a doubt, I think that ground presents on television as one of you know, it might not be the biggest ground in the competition, it definitely isn't, but mm. it presents as one of the best presented pitch pitches in um, terms of sponsor logos and all that sort of thing of any ground in our competition. Yeah. So the, the partners, commercial partners, said to get value out of having their logos looking like they're um, you know, painted onto, onto a, a billboard as opposed to normally on a grass. Yeah. Now, I've heard it looks like a bowling green there if you see it in, in oh, real life. Oh, it's amazing. It's yeah. amazing, you know. Uh, obviously, single-use stadia, stadium and um, not some of the problems that you have at multi-use grounds, but uh, they certainly look after it. Yeah. It's a great playing service. And, mate, that probably leads us on to, you know, Super Rugby overall as a product. Um, you know, this is, that, what, is this the second year we've had the, the conference system now? Um, no, this is... Is this third? Third, third year. It's got yep. to worry yep. me, mate. Um, it goes quickly. <laughs> yeah. Have you felt? How's it gone this year um, as a product? How's it's performed? Well, we've we've had about uh, sixty-three million. I need the final numbers mm. um, 
for coming through from the weekend, but people watch it live on television across the three Sanzar countries and, and many more globally mm-hmm. that aren't included in those numbers. And about 2.3 million people have attended matches across the three territories. So again, we've seen strong numbers. Um, there are, you know, certainly we would have hoped for better crowds um, across the board in New Zealand and, and probably the same in New, in Australia. But, mm. uh, you know, we're not the only people that are suffering from sort of a live match, match attendance um, problem, but we've still got very strong numbers generally and so is that a trend does that feel like a slightly a downward trend then in the live attendance um via previous years just year on year it is slightly down uh at match attendances in both new zealand and australia but when you look from 2011 Mm -hmm. um through uh, it's still uh an increase um from that so over the three years we've we've seen our numbers track up quite quite strongly mm. um, but just year on year a slight correction and some of that in New Zealand particularly is due to you know, 2012 had the halo effect as the World Cup being played there and huge surge in interest after mm. a fairly difficult year in 11 yep. so it's probably not surprising to see some of those numbers you know just have a slight correction this year uh, and in Australia, it's more due to uh, if, you, if your team performs, you, you're going to draw the numbers, and and we need uh, we need New South Wales to kick on, as is well known fact. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that's why you guys are going to be donating to the uh, Keep Easy Fund, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you don't. You guys don't have enough money either. I think we're all. No, no. I think no, we're we all shaking money. the tin. Yeah, yeah. We don't. We only get it from the unions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but mate, uh, so in the papers uh, just uh, t- today, Clive Rathbone had been saying that you know he felt that teams could, and it was it's quite ironic because he was talking about his mm. own team, saying uh, you mm. know it. it it can pay for teams to be uh, too cynical at the moment and, and, you know, basically play without the ball. Is this something that you guys have recognised and have talked about or is this out of the blue to you? Uh, I did see that. I did see it was a really interesting comment from, mm. from him, particularly, you know, as he said about his own team. But we've, we, we sit down every year with our, with our coaches and, and, and first and foremost and decide what kind of game they want to, they, they, they want to see. Uh, and then within the constraints of the laws of the game, the referees are, are brought on board with that to try and create that, that game. Um, I think there's, you know, there's a big philosoph- philosophical discussion around the best game and, mm. and what we want to see. Uh, and we need agreement. You know, and, and obviously at the end of the day, that game needs to be driven by what the fans want to see because, um, you know, you, you, that's, that's our, our final benchmark uh, for, for what we need in the competition is fans watching it and fans coming to the game. So if they're not attracted by, by what they see in the middle of the pitch, then they're not going to keep coming back and they're not going to watch it. Mm. So it, it is a big picture discussion that, that uh, we have every year on review at the end of Super Rugby because we, we it's a unique thing that happens in the Southern Hemisphere that the coaches actually sit down and, and have that conversation with with the refereeing fraternity as well to try and get that best game, and we've concentrated in t- over time and on things like uh, quick ball at the tackle, um, creating space on the field, you know, kickers and uh, players in front of the kicker, and all that sort of stuff to try and create more attacking rugby. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and at the end of the day, coaches will coach the way they want, and their ultimate goal is to win. Um, and and they'll coach the way that they think they can do that. Uh, and but but we do have we do want to have a that philosophical debate about what type of game we're looking for that's appealing to the fans as well. Okay. And, and when when's that going to be happening? It happens every year. Mm. We're about to embark on that process now. Mm-hmm. Uh, over, the, over the coming weeks, when um, Lyndon Bray, uh, our technical expert, um, spends quite a bit of time talking to all 15 um, Super Rugby coaches and mm-hmm. the national team coaches as well uh, from the three Sanzo countries, so and and, uh, and Argentina, and he we have a certain amount of influence on that now because he actually sits on uh, the IRB referee selection panel and uh, is is affecting some quite reasonable ch- change around. Uh, sort of north-south alignment on the type of game we're looking for. Okay. And just get, taking a quick step back, you, you were talking about the sort of the, the TV audiences. If I've got it right, this year you guys also look to kind of open it up in those territories where, you know, the TV audiences aren't that strong and, and, and give some digital um, capabilities to people to view things. Did that go ahead and how how successful was it? Yeah, well, we've we've got traditional broadcast platforms into about 110 countries around the world. Um, we we opened an, up another, so that's pretty much all your big countries gone. Mm. Um, but we uh, we opened up 46 other countries on the digital platform, which was about spreading the good news and spreading the brand and 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 rugby. But but uh, as much about that as trying to demonstrate capability in the digital space and and test a few things because. Certainly, there's a there's a market, there's a latent market out there that we're not probably getting to globally, mm-hmm. um, and and we'd like to have have a look at that as other people are doing um, uh, in the future. And have you got any feel on what that take up was with those forty six countries? Uh, look, small, rel- mm-hmm. relatively small, um, and not you know in the thousands, not the hundreds of thousands of of subscribers, but. Yeah. The, the 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 point is that we don't have those digital rights available to us in any of our main broadcast agreements, uh, and by main I mean even into the states or Japan or you know even at the smaller level um, contracts, mm. because traditionally the broadcaster has retained those rights. Now we we live in a changing world, and 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 digital the digital space is developing quite rapidly, so. You need to explore these different opportunities going forward, and it's not only about making money; it's about spreading spreading the story and spreading the game. Oh, so, uh, from our point of view, so so come, I think, is 2016. The next time you guys have the big uh, sit down, it'll be you know kind of potentially opening up those sorts of territories for discussion. Yeah, well, you've seen you've seen a lot of other codes do have those conversations recently, and mm. uh, we're certainly in the same space as they are. And, and value our traditional broadcast partnerships, but also want to make sure that we're reaching as many fans as possible around the world, and particularly, you know, expats who are living in those countries who are, who, who, who may want to access our our games. Mm. So, mate, talking about 2016 and, and negotiations, um, it's been all over the papers over the last week or so. Is this talk about potentially Australia and New Zealand splitting off um, to form their own Super Rugby competition to South Africa, who then be would be left to maybe either play with uh, Europe or Argentina or something like that? Uh, what's the state of play on this story? Well, at the end of the day, all three countries, all three Sanzar countries, 
want um, the involvement of all three countries to continue, <laughs> right, if right. that makes sense. So, so it's not like uh, either or, or two countries are driving a separation at all. Um, but with our com- current conference format, um, one of the imperatives from South Africa is to have six teams, and you can't have six teams uh, and 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 have a, a, a different number of teams in the other two conferences with the structure that we have. Um, so that one of the challenges is to actually get a balance um, between the three countries, and they've all got different imperatives. Like, for, for example, Australia wants um, you know a longer period of rugby to go head to head with AFL and NRL. In New Zealand, um, you know, you've got the ITM Cup, and in South Africa, you've got the Curry Cup to consider. So, everyone's got slightly different um, objectives, mm-hmm. uh, and it's about balancing those and coming up with a solution that that works across the three countries. And it is a joint venture at the end of the day. It's not uh, not driven out of this office, uh, and um, we don't have the luxury that some other codes do that you're only operating in one country mm-hmm. uh, or one of the big countries. You in our in our context, you're you're, you're uh, operating against over pretty huge geographical distances and with countries with very different uh, local environments. So it's quite interesting that you're talking about that and the role of Sansa. So I mean, physically for you, when these sorts of things are happening, how does it unfold? Do all of you guys kind of sit down in a room and? And throw stuff around, or is it you yep. catch, catching up with somebody when you're in New Zealand, you know, watching a game, and then you have a chat, and then you go. I mean, how does it tend to work? No, so what we we approach this thing. Uh, we we uh, lead a process. Um, we don't make the final. This office doesn't make the final decision. The three countries make that decision, but we lead a process that's based on getting a working group together of people who are involved at uh, national union level within the game in the three countries and, and in case of Argentina as well now uh, for the rugby championship. And we sit down and we say, okay, we're, this is where we're at now. Uh, where would we like to be? What are some of the principles that will guide us when we're looking at what the future looks like about you know, what, what's a good competition look like for Sansa? And then from there we say, well, okay, what are the alternatives? What, what do each of the countries need to make this work for them? Mm-hmm. And, and the end result, <laughs> inevitably, is a compromise and a balance of, the, of those imperatives uh, to give us a solution that works. Um, and one of the big things for us is we've got a limited number of weeks um, that we can play this competition in uh, because of the international, we're booking the by international competitions and um, also domestic, key domestic competitions in Africa and New Zealand. Mm. So, so there's only a limited number of weeks, and we also have quite significant player welfare concerns or considerations, not only with numbers of games, but but more importantly in the southern hemisphere with a travel overlay of you know tens of thousands of kilometres of travel and many hours on a plane, which you don't have in the, in the northern hemisphere. Yep. So, so those are that gives you an indication of how difficult it is to balance that uh, and, and the complex jigsaw that we have to put together to come to a decision that is never going to be perfect for, for everyone mm. or it may not be perfect for anyone, but it is a compromise across the three countries. And as I said at the start of it, uh, all three countries are aligned and wanting to keep the involvement of all three in, in, a, in a competition structure, um, albeit we've got to consider a number of options. Okay.
And um, so, mate, just looking ahead now to the rugby championship, it's just around the corner. Um, just from your perspective, uh, heading up Sansa, there must be a few things. I mean, and it probably changes each year as you go into a competition that you're looking out for. You think, oh, it's going to be interesting to see how this works out, or maybe something you mm-hmm. guys have put some effort into. Are there any, you know, a top one or two things that you're thinking about for this rugby championship? Um, well, that we're introducing the new scrum engagement laws, which will be uh, in place globally from later in the year. But we uh, we wanted to put them in as a three step call instead of the current four step call, mm-hmm. uh, so that so that our guys could have a uh, have it have it um, you know have at least used it prior to going north in November. So that's one of the things. Um, uh, I guess I guess the point before that I was talking about was uh, London um, having an involvement with global refereeing. Uh, trying to get, uh, trying to see that there's progress being made about uh, one approach to the game globally, as opposed to sometimes people have had different views from the north and south about approaching refereeing of the game. And I think this year uh, I'm waiting for Argentina to win its first game, and um, yes. I hope that they can come back as competitive as they were last year and become perhaps the 80-minute team that they weren't last year uh, until until they play Wales at the end of the year. If they could be 80 minutes in in the rugby championship, um, they're going to give everyone a run for their money, I think. Yeah, they've given us some frights in the past, that's for sure. Um, (laughs) Anyway, mate, look, thanks for that. I appreciate your time. Uh, uh, Yeah, look forward to uh, a a great rugby championship. Uh, Get some international rugby going again. No, I'm looking forward to it. It's only just around the corner. We don't have much time to, to rest. <laughs> no, exactly. Okay, well, thanks for your time. Thanks, Matt. Pretty. Right there, right there. Right, great to hear from, from, from Greg there. Um, I thought, and I almost put it to him, but I didn't want to be too rude, but I think reading between the lines, he was, pretty much saying about that super rugby piece is that, you know, when he kept saying, look, everyone wants to be together. It's about finding a compromise. That to me says that this whole story about, you know, Australia, New Zealand going one way and South Africa somehow doing something with Argentina or, or Europe going another is, is, is a furphy. And this is all about negotiations, isn't it? I mean, can you guys see anything different from that? No. Yeah. Like, well, I think they've, what they've got is... They've got an existing product which sells for a lot of money. Hmm. So anybody who's half smart um, in the business world is not going to take an existing product which sells for a lot of money and throw it out. Um, So what they're obviously doing is looking at it. And and the fact is, from the South African point of view, a lot of the Australian and New Zealand content still rates quite well in South Africa. So they're not going to want to lose that that content. Altogether, so yeah. from that point of view, I think they're going to want to they're going to want to stay together. But obviously, um, from a travel point of view and a time zone point of view, the South Africans obviously get a raw end of that stick. Um, you know, it's much easier for us to watch the New Zealand games on a Friday afternoon than it is to watch any of the South African home games. You know, mm. so I think if you are if you're South African, you'd be constantly looking over, saying, "Well, there's two thirds of the matches happening outside my time zone that I've really got to get up in the middle of the night to watch or record or whatever." So it's never comfortable for them, but they've got an existing product's worth a lot of money. They're not going to throw it out. So 
Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. But I, I think it's a bit more than negotiating. I think they really do genuinely want to stay together, if only for the for the dollars. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, and I just think it's the, it's these things that keep coming up. And actually, a lot of South Africans would say that you know they're problems that Saru painted themselves into a corner with with this six team. Um, you know, not being able to make a decision what who they're going to have and where. And now they've got these playoffs, and it's just a sore that doesn't seem to want to heal. And I think you know Saru bring that to. Um, the, the negotiating table say, look, guys, here's this problem that we've got to solve. Somehow you guys are going to have to pay for that or give us another team. So then, you know, and then at the same time, the uh, New Zealand and Australia have got to say, well, we don't bring as many people, but if you didn't have us, to your point, Logs, you wouldn't have the interest. It's this, I think it's the same sort of thing that goes round and round. They're just trying to, they're kind of getting ready early for 2016, I can't help but feel. Um, oh, and- I agree with you. I think, the, I think the South Africans are looking to the Australian and New Zealand unions to help them solve a problem they've created themselves and mm-hmm. that is not a problem for us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, it'd be a little bit like turning up to a match um, with 17 players and saying, hey, look, sorry, we've sort of painted ourselves into a corner. We told these guys they could play. Is it okay with you? Yeah. <laughs> well, no, sorry. Yeah. The rules say 15. So, yeah. you know, you're going to have to sort that one out. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's their problem. Yeah. Well, okay. And then, look, he, then he got into what we've got coming up now and it's geez it's only it's not this weekend it's next um oh yeah just oh. around the corner you're getting pumped timsy are you yeah, yeah I'm, I'm ready to go i just bet you know for your trip down here there are some potential things in the pipeline um that could be looking good is and and just to give you a hint we, it could be coinciding with green and gold rugby's first beer sponsor right that's all i want to you know that, that, that's all i'll say for now but fair um, enough I'll just say, you know, negotiations are advanced at this stage. It, 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 it could be looking good. But look, getting into the rugby, um, it's all over the papers. It's all over green and gold rugby. The big discussion is, you know, we had, there was a great article, I thought, written by a, a new contributor uh, on uh, green and gold rugby um, who just uh, started this week. Um, uh, Justin, he was talking about, Jamie, sorry, and he was talking about, how, you know, if you looked at the last squad we had for the Lions, that we had three potential uh, tens and that none of them are in this squad now. So, you know, the th- three potential tens that we had were either um, you know, Beal um, and the one that he went for was obviously uh, Bieber. And I'm just trying to remember who the Beric. third... Beric. Yeah, a good bit of alliteration there, mate. But... Yeah, Beric, Beal or Bieber. Um, and none of them are in, are in contention for 10. Um, and so we've got three, you know, for this year anyway, for, at an international level, three completely brand new contenders. Obviously in Quaid, who uh, has come down from, from, with, from Queensland with Link. Then we've got Matt Tamua, who we've, we were just touching on earlier on. And then uh, Bernard Foley from the Tars. Uh, so it's a, you know, and the whole question is, who are we going to go with? I understand that you've got some thoughts on this, Logs. Is it, is it, is it, is, it, is, is this a no-brainer? Quaid. Yeah, <laughs> it is a no-brainer and it's not Quaid. Um, what? Uh, Quaid places, still places just too much pressure um, on the guys around him because his defence is adequate, but it's not dominant. Now, um, if you look at, if you look back um, at, England, when they won the World Cup in 03, one of the 
great strengths that they had that was almost a, an adjunct to their to their very good back row was their ability to defend in that 10-12 channel. And most of that came from Wilkinson. Mm. Wilkinson wasn't just a guy who could hold his end up. He was actually a dominant tackler. You know, he could hit, um, which was sort of unheard of then, although Bernie Larkham did a fair bit of it as well. Um, and what that means is it, it just changes the shape of your defence and it changes the way that you can exert pressure on the opposition. So... I think we saw that with the Brumbies against the Lions. Now, given that, you know, we, we all agree that the Lions of that evening were, were a sort of hodgepodge of a side that was thrown together for the, for the night. But the, the startling feature of that game was just the up off the line in defence. And it, was, it wasn't just participated in by Tamur, it was led by Tamur. Yeah. Um, so I think that just brings a whole new dimension to the, Wallabies, to the Wallabies game and the pressure that they can exert. And he's shown that he can play, play wide, he can take the ball to the line, and he's not afraid of that. You know, he takes it to the line well. Um, I'm not arguing that Quade Cooper's not great quality. He is great quality, but he's nowhere near the quality that he was before his knee injury. And I don't think he takes the ball to the line in the same way. And his defence is nowhere near as dominant as Tamur. So I just think... He's, he's a great guy to have there if, if we need him, but I think out of the three, out of Cooper, Tamua and Foley, Tamua is a, is a standout. So just to back that point up, you're talking about that. If you have a look, it's Jamie Miller who's uh, joined and has he's wrote this great article, and there's a great little infographic in his article. And in it, actually, you put Tamua, Foley and Cooper together. Uh, mm. And one of the things you can look at is number of tackles um, uh, that they've made. And uh, Tamua's made 105 um, Foley's made 105 and Cooper's made 68 um, mm. so there's quite a dramatic difference and then if you look at missed tackles though and actually so it's Foley uh, Tamua's 23 Foley 21 and Cooper 27 now you could say that they're you know roughly in the same ballpark but not when you realise that you know those other two guys you know made twice as many tackles as Cooper well uh, it's, a, it's a very valid point you guys are bringing mm. up um, and, and I'll just play a devil's advocate for a minute that all we've heard from the pulverizer and link is this attacking mandate, and you're talking up changing the tens because of defence. Yeah, um, I think every certainly well, they can whilst, have whilst keeping in mind that you think Cooper's adequate, yeah. you talk up defence. I, I I just don't, I don't know. I'm the, not saying the reality, you're wrong. the reality that, of modern rugby is that the vast majority of tries come not from set-piece, but from errors and turnover ball. So the biggest source of tries is from errors and turnover ball. Now, errors and turnover ball come directly from pressure. So the more more pressure that you can exert on the opposition, the more chance there is they'll make an error and the more chance there is that you'll get the ball up against a broken defensive line and score off that or off a subsequent phase. So that's why I like Tamua, because he adds a dimension there um, particularly through that 10-12 channel that I just don't think we've had for a very long time. Uh, and I think that will change the pressure that we can exert on good teams like the All Blacks um, and give us a shot at turning ball over whilst we're on the front foot from defence and then being able to play. See, our biggest problem with... with and, and this is not, a, not Cooper's fault, but if you look back at when Cooper's been in the chair for the last few years, he's, a lot of the ball that he's had has been static ball or back foot ball. Um, and that's partly his, partly his fault in some ways that, that he, um, he's not able to push up hard off the defensive line and so they're shifting him somewhere else. 
Um, talking, but it's partly you, guys around yeah, him as well. You know, I just think we need to be we need to be doing better in that space. You're Reds or Wallabies in particular. Sorry, say again. In the Reds or Reds games or Wallabies in particular, because um, I, I think they've been very different styles. So I'm just interested yeah, I think in, in it's what evident you're with the Reds this this season. I think it's been evident with the Reds this season as well. I don't think they've been anywhere near as um, as sort of aggressive in their defensive patterns as what they perhaps were when they won the championship. But um, probably more so the Wallabies over the last couple of years when Cooper's been there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but you know, I think that's uh, the defensive stats for the Reds have been better this year than uh, even last year. But I think the, re- the defensive styles a bit different. I think that mm-hmm. uh, the the style of defence that Matt Taylor had them playing it led itself to a fast transition to attack. Yeah, um, if if you, I mean, it's interesting, Tim. So you, you know, your pushback there was like, hang on, are we just choosing a ten around defence? Um, and uh, it, if you have a look again, you play around with this infographic, um, which compares the three. Yep. So if, if you then said, look, well, well, then let's start looking at some of the attacking, you know, stats that you would say. Yep. So things like uh, try assists um, or, or tries, okay? And then the guy who's killing it on that is Foley. If you go to try assists, again, it's Foley. Um, runs, uh, Cooper is marginally ahead of Foley, who's then a fair way ahead of Tamua. Um, tackle busts, Foley and Cooper are about the same. Um, line breaks, uh, Foley's way ahead. Line breaks created, Foley's way ahead again. The one that's really outstanding in, in favour of Cooper is offloads. Um, he's like almost four to one compared to both Tamura and Foley. Um, uh, I think, you know, I don't know, a cynical person might say that that's when he gets caught and he needs to dump the ball to somebody. Um, yeah, and what's the quality of those offloads, you know? I think I, I think the only real valid stat there is probably, well, I don't know if any of them are really valid. You've you got to know the context, you in know? All the of context of all of those. Well, that's what the context are, of all it? of those stats is is so important, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say line breaks, but what does that mean? Does that mean that that he shimmies through the line every time he gets the ball on an individual basis, or does it mean that he's just got guys who are busting up the line before giving it to him, and then he's got these big holes to waltz through? Like, uh, does it? Uh, the context is so important for those stats. I just don't trust them much. Well, the, the the main context I agree with you there is that you've got to know what the extreme game plan is that the Tars played this year. Um, yeah. And it was yeah. extreme, and they didn't kick the ball, and they just ran everything, no matter what, yeah. because they had checks. That's right, and, and you look at the Brumbies the by stick. contrast. So if you're going to say Foley mm. had many more runs than Tamua, well, that's that's probably more of a coaching issue than mm. than an ability issue, you know, because clearly Jake White has said, hey, boys, we're not playing in our own half. So mm. that cuts down Tamua's opportunities to run right there. Yeah. But so, look, let's boil this down a little bit. So I think you've made a pretty strong case there, um, Legs, around why you might bring um, uh, a Matt Tamua in. Uh, Timsey, uh, case, you know, the other case, which would be, you know, Quaid um, coming back into the team. Oh, you want me to talk up Bernard. No, no. No? no. Well, no, who who would you like to turn up? No, no, honestly, my my honest opinion is I think Quaid should go first. Yeah. Um, And that's purely because a lot of the, well, I guess personally, I think a lot of the problems that he's had in the international scene has been related to coaching and game plan. Mm-hmm. I think that this is an opportunity for him to work with someone that he's done a lot of good work with, uh, and I'd like to see how that went. I'd like to see that if there was a difference. Um, and But that being said, I'm not adverse to, to Matt Tamur having a go, but I just think that 
uh, with the limited time that they have to get all this stuff together, uh, I mm. think that I think that Quaid's got I, a better chance of going first. With, yeah, I'd agree with you on that. I think um, you know the fact that he's worked with McKenzie and got such great results with McKenzie over time. You know, the, certainly there's a there's a valid and solid argument there for Cooper in that respect, given the short time frame. But so, I, I'm, I'm absolutely not against Tamil having a go because I do mm. like what he does. Mm. Uh, I think they're both really well, uh, really coachable players. If you've got a coach that's willing to work with them to uh, bring out the best of their game, so if if Matt's a, a stronger defensive player and a better facilitator, then that that's the game that we want to play. Mm. Then that's the guy who should play it. If he wants to play a game with you know really organised backs and you know long passes and try and bedazzle the the other team, then Coop's Coop is a better way to go. I mean, the thing that I... Uh, there was a great uh, kind of tribute mashup that um, Vinny put on the website uh, today, which was just, you know, pulling out some of the best bits from, from Matt's game. And, it, you know, it is obviously a summary of the season, so you pull those things together. But one of the things that strikes you is he's got a long ball. Yeah. Um, there's, I don't know, maybe four, five, six tries in there where he just... He hits one of his his wingers um, where he's skip passing at least two, and I think in a couple of occasions three players. So, you know, he, he's while he doesn't seem to throw as many outrageous passes like you were uh, saying. I mean, he, he does have some he does have some of that ability. But anyway, look, this that's all theoretical. I mean, I think the, if getting into the reality is. I think the one thing that I think we'd all be pretty confident with is not going to be Bernard Foley this year, but it's great that he's getting some exposure um, and some development, um, and that it is. Between and if, if injuries do happen, as they do, and mm. we've seen guys get opportunities that we never thought they would through injury, um, he's a pretty great backup to have. You know, if yeah. for some reason you lost Tamua and Cooper, you know, some freak accident. It's very nice to have Bernard Foley stepping in. Yeah, I but, definitely feel more comfortable with these three guys than the last mm, three guys. Absolutely, yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. Yeah. So and then so I think what I'm hearing you both of you guys agreeing on anyway is that you reckon Link's going to be starting Cooper at, the, at least at the beginning of the rugby championship. Are you guys both in agreement with that? Oh, I think that's probably what will happen. Yeah, yeah, I don't necessarily agree with it, but I think it's probably what will happen. Okay. Do you think? And here's the thing I've been playing with in my head. You know, you, you, the whole horses for courses argument and links you know he's a big people have talked about how he's a pragmatist how he changes game plans depending on who he's going to be playing against you know he's different from a a jake white in that respect do you think it would be possible because i'm not i'm trying to scratch my head for an example of it in the past that he might you know depending on who the wallabies were playing choose a different 10 is that even something you conceive of, or do you need to have somebody who is, nah, he's our go-to 10, all the, everything flows around him, um, and we'd only not pick him if he was injured or not available? Uh, so, Logues, do you think do you think it's a possibility? Um, sorry, that which is a possibility? That, that, that Link would say, look, uh, I don't know, we're, we're playing... I, I, I we're, think it's a possibility. I'll step know, in and say it. I yeah. think that um, I, I can see a case for, say, coming up against the South African team or even the Argentinians, mm-hmm. uh, where it's going to be a much more brutal game starting with Matt mm-hmm. uh, and cutting to Quaid later on. Uh, or even, you know, I, I can't see him doing things like playing a Cooper 15 or anything like that. I think that they'll play as 10s, and I, I can see him doing that. Right. So what I was saying, Logs, is can you see him mixing and matching, or is it going to be one of those guys is the the selection, and then you know it's only if he's injured or can't make it? Oh, I think he'll I think he'll pick and stick. Um, 
yeah, I don't, I can't see him changing things around too much. You know, uh, I think that's one of the hallmarks of his early Reds career was just picking guys and sticking with them, even when their form might have varied a little bit. And showing, he showed a lot of faith in selections, and I think that's probably why he got such great results out of a team that was that was a bit disparate because um, they knew that that he had faith in what they were going to do. Mm. Uh, and I think probably the Wallabies are in a little bit of the same boat. You know, they're a little bit fragmented. They're probably a little bit worried, lacking a bit of confidence. So the confidence of knowing that they're there for the long haul and that Link supports them is probably more value than he would get from switching players. Mm. I'm not so sure. I mean, he said, Link Link came out today and said uh, that, you know, he was, I think it was about Matt Tamua that he was talking where he said, you know, or was it Jesse Mogg's kick? Whatever it was, he said, you can't, you can't base it on one game. You can't base that. You've got to give that, you know, look at it as the season as a whole. I, I just can't think of saying that that was the hallmark of his early Reds career because, he didn't have a whole lot else to choose from at that time. I think that he got the greatest from having the buy-in from the players, having them work with him on the game plans and get the buy-in. Uh, that, that's where I thought it came from. Uh, mm. But, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I can just see him picking different players. So, I mean, I, just to wrap it up on, on, on this issue, I mean, I think the thing that's going to be fascinating here is that, um, you know, you look at what, what a political pawn uh, Cooper became. You know, in the lead up to the Lions series, uh, and if we think Jag Hansen isn't going to start pushing on this button again, um, I think we've got another thing coming. So, and I think for Link and you know his early days as the coach, and you know we're in this honeymoon period. You know, how many games? I don't think it would take many games of of Quaid still not looking confident, and he hasn't quite nailed it. You know, all last year for the Reds, and a lot of people would say, you know, since pre the big injury, he hasn't done it at an international level for sure. Um, you know, how long does he, you know, how long does he stick and does he give himself an out? Because if he pins all his, you know, colours to this mast, I think even he would be looking at this and going, look, you know, look at the number of tries we scored. And here's the thing, it's the same coaching staff, so it's going to be um, Link and it's going to be um, uh, Brett Mackay and um, and then Quaid. And they're Brett the guys... Mackay? Jim, maybe. Jim, Jim Mackay, uh, yeah, <laughs> who, um, who, you know, could only deliver, well, you know, 31 tries in the uh, super season. So these have got to be things that they're thinking about. And I think politically it's going to be interesting to think, to see maybe how that evolves and how maybe uh, he keeps the Tamua question alive for the reasons that you said um, earlier on, Logs. But if we're going to talk ripping it up and doing something different, the other challenge that, that's out there that I think you threw in, Logs, um, was is the captain a default? So James Horwell is the captain again. Um, I think you were raising the question, is that, you know, should that should that be the default? Is that right? Yeah, and I only raise it not because I, I lack any respect for James Horwell, but yeah. um, just because when he was originally made captain of the Wallabies, he was riding high. He was, um, you know, he's captain of a red squad that was playing very, very well. A lot of those players are in the Wallabies. You know, it made sense to carry that momentum into the Wallabies setup. Um, things have changed a bit. He's had a lot of time out through injury. Uh, the Wallaby squad around him has changed quite a lot. It's no longer as as red centric as it once was, and the Reds haven't had the same sort of success. So I don't know. I just thought it was worth throwing out there. Um, not that there are a great deal of alternatives either. So I suppose in that sense, it's probably a bit of a moot point. Although I just wonder whether a guy like Will Genya perhaps has a broader appeal within the squad, and maybe 
whether that's an option worth looking at. Um, but as I say, not not that I, I don't bring it up because I don't like James Hall. I think he's got a tremendous amount to offer, but I just don't know that he's quite the charismatic or sort of talismanic figure that he was when he was first made captain, you know? So the, the other person that I'd throw in there, though, is that is I've really been warming to as a captain is Ben Moen. Um, especially at these games when they've got down to the pointy end. He's, you know, always calm and considered, always having a, a quiet word. And the other bit that I like, which is, I think, maybe McCaw-esque in this way, is that there's a, there's a school of thinking out there is that one of the reasons why Richie McCaw can get away with as much as he does is, is he's the captain. And, um, you know, he's the guy that the referee has to talk to and he has the right to talk to the ref about issues and everything else. And so mm. and the ref builds a relationship with him and that, you know, you're much less likely to be pinging um, relentlessly the captain because he's that guy you have that relationship with. It's just a natural thing. And I think if you look at Ben Moen, I've increasingly been thinking that he is one of the guys who he's one of our sneakiest players. Um, and so if you looked at that uh, second Lions test and there were two quick penalties and the second penalty was the one that was just outside of Lee Halfpenny's range, but they knew they had to take it. Um, that was Ben Moen in both of those situations. And if you look at, there's a number of other penalties that have been popping up and it's one of those things I've been thinking about doing some video analysis, but I'm not sure I want to raise it too much, to be honest, um, uh, from a, from a patriotic <laughs> well, let's keep that to view. ourselves, exactly. mate. Exactly. But I mean, I think he's, he's, and if you look at the Brumbies, you know, look at their stats, highest um, greatest number of penalties given away, fewest number of penalties kicked against. So, I mean, you know, I think there's some smart thinking going on there um, that, 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 that's gone with everything else they've done in such a professional way. And I think all those things together, I mean, I think he's a smart captain. I don't think we would be losing much. The only thing is, I think he's a great line-out caller. And as we've discussed on this podcast before, it's it's a big job to say someone's captain and thinking about what's happening with the team and the, managing the ref and everything else, and then also going through the mental gymnastics of how you're going to run the line out and you know and, and all those sorts of things when you're you know when your pulse is at 190 BPM. So um, you know maybe those two things, and maybe it's nice to keep it separate. But um, I've been impressed with him. What do you think, Timsey? Yeah, I agree. I think he's done a great job, and it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a bad thing. But I just don't think. Uh, what are you? What are you getting rid of James for? Just because you think that there might be someone better. I mean, <laughs> no. It yeah, sounds no, very. La- it sounds point very Labor Party, exactly, doesn't yeah. it? I mean, <laughs> uh, look, look, look how that works out, though. Um, uh, yeah. You no. know, it's just. I think you know everything that we promoted James there for, he still got. So um, I, I don't like the idea of Wolganier as captain. I think he does a good job, but I don't think he likes it. Mm. Um, so it's got to be something that you know someone's willing to take on. I, I don't mind the way James goes about it. I think uh, you know he's very much a follow me type leader and probably doesn't talk as much as someone like Ben who stays a little bit more calm. So there's definitely positives to Ben, and I can't and I can't see it being a problem if if we need to use him. Yeah, at no, all. I don't think it's I don't think it's Ben Moen. Um, you know, maybe if if in some way in a year or two he had. You know, he grew massively as a captain. I don't think he's a Wallaby captain at the moment, but he's certainly doing a good job at the Brumbies. What about James O'Connor? <laughs> <laughs> um, is the answer come back when, he, when uh, you've grown he's, up? He, he's not even captain of his super province. <laughs> he's not even, he's not <laughs> even in a super province. Oh, he province. does not either. Oh, yes. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> doesn't even have a super province. Has anyone heard any result, um, resolution to this? 
No. no. That's cool. um, I, I will tell you, a little birdie told me that um, just over the weekend that, uh, that I understand that there were approaches being made from the O'Connor camp back to Queensland. Um, and uh, the answer was no. Um, and he is stuck with a vastly reduced pay offer from the rebels, uh, from the force, from the force, um, yeah. and a lot of humble pie to go with it. And he's doing everything in his power to try and avoid it. Um, so yeah, interesting situation. Um, what do they say? Be careful about how you treat people on the way down, you know, on the way up, and in case you know they come past you when you're on the way down. Just staggering, isn't it, that a that a person could be so obtuse. Mm-hmm as to put themselves in a situation where they are a test player and by all accounts, you know, purely playing ability, um, a a very, very good one, and they cannot find a super province because people don't like them. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Just imagine. It's just staggering, isn't it? Imagine being one of the best-performed people in your field and not being able to find a job because people don't like you. I, I tell you what, it warms my heart. It really does. That the the, the cultures of uh, Australian rugby have gotten to a point where, and you've seen it with the Reds, you've seen it with the Brumbies. They've taken players that aren't aren't the world beaters. They're not the incumbent Test tens. They've taken these players and they've made them a team based on a tight knit team. And the rest of the there's enough depth there now that super coaches are feeling comfortable saying, "You're a dick. Mm. I don't want you here." Mm. I think it's great. A lot, it says a lot about where the culture of rugby is going in Australia. Yeah, it says a lot about the evolution of professionalism too, doesn't it? I mean, Absolutely. you know, five years ago, he would have been snapped up by anyone and and playing ability trumped everything, mm-hmm. um, even just five years ago. But it's certainly changed a lot. You know, the culture's become very important. It's a, As Timsey says, it's a, it's a great thing for rugby. No, it's, yeah, excellent. Good good point there, Timsey. What it says is what people, you know, people like... like me who's not skilled but can you know maybe try and be a good bloke can some you know they're, they're a hope for us yeah, <laughs> you'd have to be a really 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 good bloke uh, okay well, <laughs> you'd have to be like the pig in pulp, pulp fiction you know have to be one charming pig uh, <laughs> <laughs> no well i'm i'm stuffed in both compartments then so there you go um, no good no, yeah anyway all right so the last thing I wanted to bring up then, um, and when we talked about this off air, you guys might, uh, you might not even let me, but is the cricket. Um, now, the reason I wanted to bring it up is, first of all, was how shocking um, it was, this latest result. We could whinge and bitch about it, and we're not a bunch of poms, so we're not going to do that. Um, I will say on a positive side, I loved seeing our guys play both bat and bowl like it was a test match. Um, and not, you know, a one-day game or a, a, a 2020. It was, it was fantastic and refreshing, and good to see some guys putting some runs on. But the issue that I want to bring up, which I think is um, kind of more applicable across sport, is the thing that's come out in this whole series is the whole thing of the DRS. Um, so is the and I'm trying to remember now what they even stands something review decision, decision review system. system. There you go. And and this is the one where both teams have two chances to throw it upstairs to the basically to the TMO right who who then has is allowed to go through. There's an old saying that basically sums up exactly what you're about to talk about. Yeah. And it goes something along the lines of, if you find me an idiot-proof system, I'll find you a bigger idiot. <laughs> and that's basically what we've got here. You've got a clear decision that no person in their right mind would make, and they they go and do it. Yeah. Um. So. I guess the bit that I want to bring this in for was because like this year, for example, we brought something which I wondered how the hell was going to work. 
and we saw it even being looked at in the in the final on the weekend where refs can now go you know before the try line um they can ask where people i mean you know there was a question i think in the last one was, was george smith offside um you know it uh, wasn't, that was it, about the shepherd wasn't it no no it, it was it was he would, yeah. The, he would. He, I don't think he was actually. Was this before Leofano's try? Yeah, he didn't actually interfere yeah. with the ball, but it was just simply was one of the Brumby players offside when the halfback passed the ball and then Leofano made the intercept, um, which is you know it's starting to get a bit tangential about how important an impact that was on any play, right? Um, but anyway, it, it was all fine and, and everything worked out. Um, and so, you know, like, I guess where I'm getting at is that's a pretty big step forward as far as using, you know, this re- a review system. Then we've got this DRS one that seems to have gone completely haywire in cricket. Um, what's the difference? And I mean, is it something that we can learn from? Is it something we should try and keep out of the game? Logues, I think you've got a pretty strong viewpoint on this. Definitely something we should keep out of the game at all costs. And the reason is because none of these uses of technology remove human error. Mm. All they do is they shift human error from one place to another. So they shift the human error from the field to a guy up in the stand. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what we've seen with the cricket. It doesn't remove the human error. It just simply shifts it from one place to another. It's the hospital pass of, you know, officialdom. Um, So really what... The only reason... The only time we should look at technology is if at some time in the future... A system is devised which takes human error completely out of the equation. Mm. You know, if there's some sort of computer chip in the ball that can <laughs> detect when it's grounded with pressure and, you know, whatever, that takes human error right out of it, then perhaps. But mm. up to that point, just forget the hospital pass of technology and go with the referee. Mm. It's part of the beauty of the game, isn't it? Mm. That, that, you know, there is just a, a small chance of human error you know and that that wonderful feeling of of euphoria when you think the referee's got it right and the the pain when he gets it wrong and you know that's part of rugby that is just what it is Mm. we don't try and take the human error away from the players i don't see why we're trying so hard to do it with the referees yeah well and and I, i mean i must admit though i also kind of felt that we're on the borderline of that you know with that question from greg craig schubert to the to the TMO, which is saying, you know, was George Smith off, offside at a ruck, you know, um, you know, a phase or two before the try? is kind of like, well, how far back do you want to go? And in the past, if he hadn't called that, I don't think, you know, if that try had been allowed, um, I couldn't, I can't even imagine like a, you know, the, the studio uh, team going back and saying, oh, but look, George Smith was slightly offside at that ruck. How, could, also, how could a, you possibly allow it? I mean, that to me was just crazy. Yeah. What a cop out from Joubert. That's his job. Yeah. If he didn't pick it up, well, it didn't happen. Well, the thing is, he was asking the question, so he obviously had it See, in his mind. I think, I think that, deci- that that question aside, mm. I think that we've pretty much got it right how it is now. Mm. I, I'm pretty yeah, happy with the fact that they can go back and look at a forward pass, which, you know, a play moves along pretty quickly and the ref's just not quite in the right place to see it. The touches haven't got there. You know, it, it's fine to ask that question. It's, they're pretty clear things and easy to easy to rule on. Mm. Um so I'm pretty happy with where it is at the moment. I don't want it to go any further. Yeah, okay. There you well, go. Topic over. Well, as we've talked about, I've got myself <laughs> into a ladder about the, the George Smith offside thing. Uh, yeah, okay. I think that, that was there was no need to ask that question. If he thought it was offside, he should have backed himself. If he didn't, Correct. then... 
You know, exactly. I, that's where you see people like Steve Walsh going. You know, I've, I've seen games where the touch is gone, mate. Do you want to send that upstairs? No, right. Called yeah. the try. Yeah. No, you know, I, I think that there's probably a tendency to use too much, but you, you put yourself in that situation. You're in the Hamilton. There's a guy outside on a on a uh, you know a truck with a freaking chainsaw. You don't want to get that decision wrong. <laughs> You but in that sense, in that the referees are really no different to the players. I mean, that's no different to a player like, you know, Quade Cooper. Hey, we were just talking about Quade. It's no different to Quade backing himself on a on a 30-metre sort of double cut or, a you know, a flick pass in traffic and hoping that it'll come off. Mm. There's no difference between him doing that and being a star because of it and Steve Walsh backing himself in his way either, you know, yeah. and I think the better refs do back themselves yeah. and should back themselves and should be encouraged to. Well, he, he who controls himself controls the game. Right, well, we've got our um, an historic moment here on Green and Gold Rugby. We've got our first... Breaking new ground all the time, aren't we? We are. I mean, really. We're reimagining... Um, what Pioneers po- on the frontier. Yeah, how podcast could be. Yes. Um, we've got our first phone in, and it's it's Andrew, mate. How are you? Yeah, good, thanks. Good. Now, Andrew, how would you describe yourself? Um, uh, I'd have a uh, green and gold rugby fan, I suppose. Uh, love the Wallabies. Uh, pretty yeah. much, and, and probably a, a red supporter as well. Okay, good. Probably so, a red supporter. That's <laughs> not a conviction there. Okay, definitely a red supporter then. Okay, good. good. <laughs> All right, mate. Now, look, you've, um, you've you've wanted to come in on the phone in with a, with a particular topic. What is it that you wanted to say, mate? Uh, just pretty much, uh, I'm wondering why uh, there's so much <clears throat> sort of hype around Benji Marshall leaving rugby league to come to rugby union when players such uh, as like Digby Ioane are, are leaving Australia to um, mm-hmm. you know to go play uh, over in Europe when you know he hasn't really re- reached his uh, full potential I don't think in Australian rugby yet and right. uh, I just wanted to, I, don't, I just don't understand why the ARU are um, not really you know pulling out every stop they can to uh, to keep him in the country okay and so, and whereas, so with the Benji Marshall thing, though, I mean, he's we think he's off to Auckland, probably, right? Yeah, so I, I, you know, that's a good thing. I think, uh, you know, I still think it's good for uh, rugby union. They're getting a, a player of his uh, caliber, and I have to sort of commend him, sort of on, uh, you know, not playing for an Australian club uh, because he wants to uh, play for New Zealand. But you know, I, I just I Google all the time. Uh, every morning, pretty much, I wake up and. Uh, you know, Google uh, just what's going on in uh, Australian rugby. I have a look at sort of your guys, uh, you know, Monday morning, Tuesday morning rugby news. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'd, yeah, uh, Google Digby's name and all you get pretty much. The last thing that uh, anyone said about him was pretty much uh, the court case and stuff like that. But there's no... Mm. You know, that, that, when, when he did sign uh, for uh, the French club... There was nothing really said. There was just he's left, and that's it. No one sort of, uh, you know, made a fuss about him like they have with uh, past players. So yeah, no, he's well. I mean, you know, and the funny thing is, you know, he was a shoe in straight into that Lions squad, right? He, you know, as long as he wasn't injured, he was in there. And then all of a sudden, I think when uh, they gone. picked the back one, mm. he's pretty much the first person they uh, put down as a, a mm. solid yes. Like I don't think he's ever really had like since he pretty much. 
you know, made the starting side has always been the first back pick. And, mm. you know, it's sort of, it's just, it's disappointing. I actually, uh, mm. you know, grew up playing uh, down in Victoria uh, on, on the same, same club team as him. Oh. And, uh, you know, just uh, like the, there's a whole, the whole family, the whole uh, Iwani family, same with his uncle. And, uh, you know, they're all champion rugby players, all come from Victoria. And uh, it's just a sad to sort of see him go before he reached his uh, full potential. All right. Well, now, I won't get any sense out of Timsey on this because he's just a rabid uh, Reds <laughs> fan. Logs, uh, what, <laughs> what's, what's, what's your viewpoint on, on, on Diggers? You know, sad to see him go or was it just an inevitability? Well, I think it's a worldwide trend that we're that we're seeing, or, or certainly, well, perhaps not a worldwide trend, but it's a, certainly a trend in the Southern Hemisphere for guys to be going over to Europe and Japan earlier and earlier in their careers. And you see it in South Africa, you're seeing it in New Zealand, you know, you're just seeing a lot of guys from the Southern Hemisphere going that way. And, um, you know, unfortunately, money talks. These guys have got finite careers, and, and if you can earn... I mean, you know, we're talking huge numbers anyway. But if you're earning three or four hundred thousand here in Australia, and you can earn eight hundred in France or, or Japan, well, it's probably not really a, a very hard decision to make. Um, particularly, uh, and I hate to say this, and I would hate it if this really was the way that most guys think. But I think perhaps there's an element of, well, you know, I've played thirty tests or forty tests for the Wallabies, and and you know that's that's pretty good, and that's maybe as good as it as good as I want it to be, and now I'm just going to make some money. Mm. Um, so unf- I, sort of I, look, I don't begrudge guys that because, you know, as a footballer, if you have a 10-year career in any code of professional football, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good haul. Um, and really, you know, if you've played five years at international level, well, then I don't probably blame you for wanting to spend the next five just socking away some big coin. Mm. Sorry, yeah, Andy. I sort of, uh, I sort of get why, you know, the likes of... Uh, Derek Barnes and uh, Drew Mitchell sort of, you know, they're at the point where, you know, they're probably, they're not a shoe in to make the Wallabies. They're, they've done probably, I wouldn't say all they can do for Australian rugby, but they're probably at the point where they need to um, go off and sort of make that money. But, you know, they're about, Digby's about the same age, but at the same time, he's still still got another two or three years. He's, he still could make the World Cup quite easily and be the, uh, the, the Australian winger, you know, that it's probably going to uh, take them through to that World Cup, but it's just disappointing, I suppose, that um, there hasn't. There's been a whole heap of uh, hype about, you know, obviously uh, the likes of like uh, Ewan McKenzie coming in and taking over, and you know the, the Benji Marshall thing. But there's mm. been nothing on keeping these Australian players mm. in Australian rugby, and I don't know, it's just uh, disappointing. So, mate, Andrew, just to finish off, mate. So, what do you think though about the wingers' stock coming through? Because there's some pretty Good names coming through there. I mean, so you've got O'Connor's gone back to the wing by the looks of things. Uh, he's pre- he can be pretty useful. Some guy called Izzy Falau, I hear, is okay. Um, Henry Spate is eligible in November. Uh, Joe Tamani from uh, is there as well. And look, I'm, I'm probably missing three or four others um, who haven't been playing too badly either. Do, do you think uh, you got Peter Beetham in there and Nick Cummins also? Oh, the Honey Badger. How can I forget the Badger? I think. Uh... Australian rugby and what they've been talking about with you know having the five teams now, um, mm. we do have a lot of depth. There yeah. are a, a number of players that can play across pretty much all the divisions. Mm. So uh, you know, I see the the future um, for for you know backs in in Australia is going pretty well. Can I name a, a quick team that I'd uh, I'd like to to see? And I think it would probably be the uh, the strongest team. But I think that um, yeah, you know, it'd be a team I'd like to see. So yep. um, Go for it. Can, you, can you at halfback? 
Yeah. Uh, Clay Tupa at um, five eight. Uh, Lee Leofano. Uh, I was going to say, is this is going to be the Reds team? Yeah. But, no, you chuck Lee Leofano. <laughs> so we're okay. Uh, Kieran Darty. Um, you know, Digby Uani on one wing, uh, Israel on the other, and you know, you pick at Kirtley or um, or or James O'Connor at fullback. Um, I know you're leaving people like uh, Adam Ashley Cooper off, but I just think it's a team that, uh, you know, pretty young. If they can get it together, I think it's. Uh, I think that um, you know, pretty much every country would want one of those players on their teams. They uh, they had a had a chance at getting them. So yeah. uh, I suppose the thing that they uh, all play with is a bit of. Um, you know, if, if the the team's going well and uh, they've got a bit of confidence, they're running they're running the football and they're going well. So mm. I don't know, it's something I'd like to see in the future. Excellent. Well, I think probably what you will see, just to, to Andrew's point about yeah. some of those young guys coming through, one of the things that struck me about that back line uh, or the back line players that they've picked, um, particularly the wingers, is the size. Mm. Um, and guys like Peter Beetham, Nick Cummins, Joe Tamani, they're all very big guys, you know. Um, Kurandrani's a pretty big guy. Um, Israel Falau's a huge man. So you can see there's a trend back to size in the back line, you know, where we've had quite a small back line um, in several positions over the last couple of years. Yeah. Anyway, Andrew, mate, look, thanks for coming on. Awesome. Awesome first yes. guest. Thank you very much. Right there, right there. So great to hear from Andrew. Um, would love to get more people on like that. If you've got an opinion, um, we'll do that as usual. We'll say, look, you know, before the podcast, which always happen either on a Monday or Tuesday night, we'll send a, uh, a tweet out and we'll put something on the Facebook page. Or if you've got something to say, send an email. Yeah, whatever. And yeah, send us an email. You can always get us through the site that way. Give us your number. We'll just ring you up, bring you on. Tell us what you think. We'll have a yarn. Um, it's, it's not that hard. Um, anyway, otherwise, guys, good to have you on as well. Oh, thanks. Tremendous. Thanks very much. Yeah. Um, have a good week. And uh, I mean, what have we what have we got on this weekend to, to look forward to rugby wise? I mean, I've I've been feeling a bit lonely rugby wise. You know, uh, is there anything game. on? I don't know. <laughs> We've got club, I guess. You know? Back to club yeah. rugby. You yeah. Know, get out to season third tier. Back yeah. to the birthplace. Get down to Sydney University, or if you're out in the bush, get down to you know, get down to Cowra and watch the emus take mm-hmm. on Cowra. Yep. Yep. There's get, good rugby going on all over the place. Get your sausage sanger, gold, you know, gold, <laughs> gold coin donation and a, and a tinny and get out hey, there and enjoy it. doesn't get any better. No, it's pretty damn good. All right, boys, have a good weekend. Hopefully speak to you next week. And thanks, everybody, for listening and downloading and everything else. Right there, right there.